Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watches of Switzerland Group. We introduce this special episode by welcoming our guest host, Bill Prince, watch journalist, acting editor-in-chief of Wallpaper magazine. In this episode, Bill Prince meets with Julianne Tornal, CEO of luxury watch brand Zenith. The pair discuss both the history of Zenith and Julianne himself, along with the future plans that are for the brand and an insight into the Watches of Switzerland Zenith exclusive, the Chronomaster original El Primero. Hello, I'm Bill Prince, a journalist, an editor, and of course, a watch lover. It gives me great pleasure today on the Caliber podcast to welcome Julian Tournaire, the CEO of Zenith. Julian joined Zenith in 2017 after a quarter of a century in the watch industry that has taken him from his native Geneva to the United States and across Asia Pacific. His arrival at Zenith has marked a change in its fortunes. This highly decorated manufacturer now responsible for one of the industry's biggest success stories, the El Primero Chronomaster Sport. We'll come on to that watch in a moment, but first, Julian, perhaps we could start by discussing how you came into the watch industry. Was it something that ran in the family blood? Thank you, Bill, and nice to see you again. Um, hi, everyone, I'm very happy to be here, and thank you for this nice in- introduction. Um, yes, uh, I really started in the watch industry a bit by, by coincidence, I would be very honest with you. Um, my family was never in the watch industry, to, to no extent, and uh, I was actually introduced to a family-owned company at that time. Um, I was finishing my studies here in London, and I got a phone call, and I flew to back to Geneva, and I met at that time um, the CEO of a company called Remenweil, family-owned. Mr. Remenweil was still running the company at that time, and, uh, and I started uh, to be in this industry like this. So obviously being Swiss Myself and born and raised in Geneva, I was already emerged in the in the watch world. Of course, I, I could see watches through windows and everything, but that's 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 all. Nothing more than that. Yeah. So, what was the enticement to enter the business? What, what, what were you a watch lover or a collector? Did you have any feeling for the uh, the product? What was the uh, galvanizing moment that said to you, "I want to be in this industry"? Uh, you know, it's uh, it was more. I would say I got passion more being on the job. Uh, the first thing that attracted me was not the watch itself or the industry itself. It was more the the job. I mean, the fact that I would be uh, meeting people from many different cultures because I took over my first job was area sales manager for Europe, mm-hmm. which means during my two first years um, at uh, Raymond Weil, I visited every single country in Europe except Albania. Don't ask me why, I don't know, but I really went to all those countries. So it was a great way for me to meet people from different cultures. And that that's then later, later on, on the job that I started to develop passion for watches. And then subsequently to Raymond Vale, you did a, uh, a stint, I should say, a, a te- an extended tenure with Vacheron Constantin, which again, as I said earlier, um, you left your home in Geneva and was based for many years abroad. Um, when the opportunity came to uh, consider the role at Zenith, what, what, what was your uh, sort of anticipatory thoughts about it? What was your understanding of the brand and what was the attraction? Yes, uh, you're right. I, I worked for Vacheron Constantin for 17 years. Um, and five based in Switzerland, five in New York, and twelve and seven, sorry, in uh, Hong Kong. So it was a large experience and an experience of markets, and not only dealing with markets from your HQ, but dealing on the site, on the market itself. And that's for me the best way to get to know. That's probably the reason why Jean Claude Biver called me, and 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 we started to discuss, and he ended up offering me the job at Zenit. 
I always kept an eye on that beautiful brand. And I always thought this is such an amazing brand with a great heritage, great history. Of course, the El Primero, which was and maybe still is the main asset uh, or one of the key assets of the company. And I always felt that it was underestimated that there would be something to do. And I have to say, this is also one of the reasons why I decided uh, to take over this challenge, because that was a challenge. But I knew there would be a big leverage for me. And I could literally, if we do a good job, uh, bring the brand to a completely different league. Mm. Well, you arrived into a brand with tremendous assets, both historically in terms of its watchmaking, in terms of its manufacture and the lock. I yep. mean, it's... It, it, feels something that was ripe and ready to be developed. And how did you think through... We can talk a little bit about the individual collections as we go, but it felt to me that you had a very clear view on how each of the collections should be repurposed in a sense and certainly reimagined for the marketplace. Perhaps we could start with the yeah. Defy collection because for me that's the collection that seems to have produced the most flex, as we say currently. Absolutely. The, the brand width of the opportunities that sits within the Defy collection from the inventor right through to what we were seeing this yeah. year with the Skyline. Yeah. Um, was that your initial thought to um, put that collection to work? For sure, because my, my analysis of the situation was quite clear in a way that I knew the foundation of the brand were great. Again, the history, 157 years of history of producing watches with no interruption, always on the same site in Le Loc. The uh, El Primero story, which is incredible, but many more. I mean, I knew everything was so incredible in this brand. But like many brands, I have to say, in the watch industry, either they had long history and they tend to be a bit turned to the past, which means sometimes a bit dusty. Or they started from a white sheet of paper and they could be super creative because nothing in the past to, uh, to, um, to stay in line with. And, and brands often believe that if you have a past a history, if you're a traditional watchmaking brand, you cannot go away from this. And I think it's wrong. And that was my first thought, my first statement that I gave back to my boss at that time, Jean-Claude Biver, as well as the LM Image Group. I said, we have a great history. We are traditional. We are a real man manufacturer. But it doesn't, today we live in 21st century. And if we don't want to die at some point as a museum brand, uh, we have to work and develop watches for the 21st century uh, clients. And DeFi was the best starting point because it was a way to bring um, a new dynamic to rejuvenate in a way the brand itself. But not only. I literally had to take every single subject uh, from the website to uh, uh, the distribution to the uh, boutique and, and displays, corners, concept, all that. I had to take every single subject and to turn them into 21st century. Mm. Always staying in line with who we were, but living today, you know. And, and DeFi was the best way to start. And Jean-Claude launched the DeFi 21 two months before I joined. So he, he basically... Uh, set the standard and then we developed the line and, 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 and working on this very contemporary um, watch collection gave me the time to think about what do we do with Chronomaster, the famous three sub-counters uh, watch that has been very close to the history of the El Primero and it gave me time to redesign, to rethink about how again we launch Chronomaster in a contemporary way and uh, and of course and, and the future will continue with the other product line so mm -hmm. i'm uh, i'm happy to have done that because now our average age you know went from 44 to 33 years old now so it's been a big switch and the, the brand perception the brand appeal have been dramatically um, uh, improved mm -hmm. 
Well, we should talk about El Primero because, of course, for those who are unfamiliar, it is the world's first um, integrated chronograph movement, automatic, that was uh, developed yes. and um, created by Zenith and launched in 1969. It served its uh, several masters over the time, over the years. It's been in some very, very fabulous watches, both within the Zenith brand and those brands without that have purchased the movement. But in many senses, there are products from the watch industry which sometimes the brands themselves have to move around mm -hmm. um, because they become so idiomatic of what they produce that they become almost the story and nothing can get past the one story. El Primero in, in, is almost the reverse proposition. It's always been there since 69 in the Zenith story and been repurposed, reimagined, and of course, as we know, improved over time by your watchmakers. And Defy 21 is a very good example of how the El Primero movement has been, I, I guess, modernized for, yeah. for a contemporary audience. But when you realized you were going to get your hands on the El Primero, and we can talk about the Corona Master Sport at this moment as well, what were your sort of thoughts and, and feelings around it? What did you feel had to be protected, and what did you see the opportunities were going to be? Again, one of the first questions I asked myself, and I was actually asked, um, is having an El Primero so strong, sometimes stronger than collections or the brand itself, is it a strength or a weakness? And I always thought that it was an incredible asset. How many brands would dream to have something like the El Primero in their uh, heritage? Um, and it's not because the branding was not strong enough that we should, in a way, weakening or, 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 uh, or you know, put aside the El Primero. It's the opposite. Mm. So that's exactly what we did. I kept the El Primero as the center of our strategy, but we worked on the branding, we worked on the appeal, we worked on the awareness, the disability of the brand. And the good results, if I should say, the, the excellent results we're getting now uh, for the last two and a half years are thanks to this. Because now we finally have a brand by itself and this fantastic history of the El Primero. So our way was, our, our thought was always to keep the movement at the center of our strategy, but of course to... Uh, to, 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 to encase the movement in a, in a contemporary watch. And, and it worked very well because people, what they do buy? They buy a history heritage, a very strong authenticity and seriousness from a, a watch brand like Zenit because uh, we are one of the few brands that can say 100% of the Zenit watches have a Zenit movement. You know, We only use Zenit engines, as I like to say. So you have the heritage, you have the authenticity, but it's a brand that's talking to you, not to your grandparents. And it's a contemporary watch of 21st century. So that equation, in a way, uh, is, is a big, big part of our success today. But Julian, you also had told that story in a very credible and I would say courteous way to the El Primero and the story of the El Primero, which is one of the great yeah. near extinction stories of yep. the Swiss watch industry when uh, its then owners were announcing to the world they were no longer producing the El Primero movement to focus on quartz. And the watchmakers of uh, Le Loc took time and the trouble to store away all of the cutting tools and machinery required to rebuild it, which is what subsequently happened. But you told that story through the Revival series, which I thought was fascinating, and you were very keen to show your, the, the market that you were approaching where the El Primero came from before you presented the Corona Master Sport. So could you tell me a little bit about how, um, obviously, objectively, some interesting watches have been produced during that period as well. I'm mm -hmm. thinking of the shadows specifically, yep. but you, you clearly had a view that these are the key moments in the El Primero's uh, um, evolution that you wanted to record and also to celebrate. Is that correct? Yes, it's totally correct. I knew that the big comeback of the Chronomaster was very closely linked to the El Primero. 
And at that stage, I was quite lucky because uh, 2019 was the 50th anniversary of the El Primo. So I had a celebration. And then uh, I was supposed to relaunch the Chronomaster collection in 2020. It finally happened in 2021 because of the COVID situation. But the timing was very well prepared and we knew exactly where we were heading. Um, and of course, this incredible story of uh, Charles Vermeaux, uh, in a nutshell, a huh, famous uh, watchmaker from the Complication Workshop, uh, who suddenly realized that the new owners, uh, American uh, owners called Zenith uh, Radio Corporation, they own the brand, they come and it's the middle of the quartz revolution. So they basically tell everyone, mechanical watches is yesterday, the future is quartz, please get rid of every single uh, component, uh, tools, or whatever, linked to the El Primero, to the garbage. And, uh, and at that time, Charles Vermeer raised his hand and said, can I be in charge of this? And he said, yes. And so instead of throwing away, he basically started to hide what we now call the hidden treasure mm -hmm. into the attic. And he went there at night. He went there during the weekend. It took him six months to do that. And he basically preserved uh, the treasure and the, 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 yeah, the, the most important uh, element of, of, of the brand in such a way. So when I literally found out about this story, I said, this is incredible. Nobody talked more about that in the past. And this is my job, my responsibility now to do it in the best way. Uh, and that's how we started to communicate. And we celebrated this anniversary all over the world. I think I went to 20, 21 or 22 different cities to celebrate this El Primero. Um, and at the same time, I had the idea also, I said, okay, 50 years is a lot and it's not that much. Uh, I'm 50 years old this year, so I think it's not a lot at all. <laughs> you were but to say that. I, I basically managed to get eight of the key people who made the El Primero in the 60s around the table. I invited them for lunch. We shared. They told me so many untold stories that you can't find in any book or that nobody knew about the adventure of making the El Primero. And you know, here, coming back to my initial point, what reinforced my thought was that they told me a simple thing. They said, Julian, it's great you do revival. It's great you give tribute to what we did 50 years ago. But don't forget that when we made the El Primero, we were super innovative. We were startups, even if the word didn't exist, but mm. we were really avant-garde and we had to be uh, like that. So he said, continue to create, continue to bring new things. And what you're doing with DeFi is exactly the same uh, mindset. Mm. So having had this meeting, plus the success we had later, really convinced me that we are, um, we are putting the brand into the right direction, yes. It's an incredible story, and I wasn't familiar with the time it had taken Mr. Vermo to actually move those parts. What would today be an act of corporate espionage or even mm -hmm. corporate vandalism, not following your master's orders to the letter? And you know, he took a very, very important personal risk. People don't realize that. We are in the late 60s, early 70s. We are in the early 70s, so there is very little social security. Uh, Charles Vermo is a watchmaker, so he has a watchmaker salary. It's not like he's a wealthy person. He has uh, three kids. Uh, if he's losing his job because he did not listen to his boss, he's in deep trouble in this period of time, courts crisis, no, not many jobs in the industry. So he would have been starving, I mean, literally. So he took a huge personal risk to preserve and save this El Primero. And uh, he, for us, he's a hero. And is that part of the reason why you have turned the attic in, at Le Loc, in the, in the manufacturer, into an almost shrine to that, to that moment? You, you are very supportive of the history of the brand within the building itself. 
And you've also had some really fascinating uh, thoughts around how you can bring the public into the space. And I understand you've also had a manufacturer-only edition, um, A386, is that correct? True, true, yeah. true, true. Yeah. Yeah, we said, okay, we have this fantastic attic, we need to show it more. We have, of course, the workshop, we have different elements of the visit that we wanted to, um, to, to put together. And at the same time, we had discussions with the uh, Neuchâtel Tourism Board, who was trying to promote the region. And we came to them and we told them, you know what, we could be the visit, the manufacturer to visit for tourists coming to the region. And uh, we are so proud of what we're doing. Again, we use only our movements. So we can we open the back of our watch to show proudly our movements, but we also want to open our manufacturer. So at that time in 2018, that was a bit earlier, we were the very first watch manufacturer to open its doors to public, public visits every Friday. And that's been so successful until COVID, of course. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's the time when we still sometimes found some... Um, elements from the history that had never been uh, discovered. And, and, and you mentioned the manufacture edition. Mm. It's also a dial, rusty dial with three shades of blue that we found in a drawer. I, I still remember my team calling me. I was in a meeting. They called me and said, Julian, we found, we found something quite nice. So I, I called these, um, these gentlemen, uh, these retired gentlemen from the El Primero, and I got to see them. I said, do you remember this? Do you, you remember a watch that could have been done out of this... Uh, dial and they said no 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 these were uh, prototype dials prototype but we never use them we never commercialized that I said, okay this is great this is another treasure let's do it and blue is our corporate color you know the sky is in it the starry sky so i said let's make an edition that you can only buy when you visit the manufacturer that's why we call it the manufacturer edition well, again, an innovation, something that as those that have traveled to Switzerland know, um, previously only uh, access was given to VIPs and, and high-ranking clients, and thankfully the press, I can say, but to be able to visit and understand much more close up. But it's interesting as well that we talk about El Primera, and long, before we jump on, were you familiar with the level of success that the Corona Master Sport was going to get? Had you prepared for that moment, or has it been an out-of-the-box moment? Yes and no. Yes, because we worked so much, so hard on this one. And uh, COVID gave us another few months to, to make it perfect. So we worked very much. We took some historical model. We, we cherry-picked some elements from each watch that was nice. We made probably six or seven different prototypes. So we worked really in-depth for this. So I expected to be something, but not to that level. And that's my no. Uh, you know, when we launched it, it was midnight. I will never forget. It was a Thursday night. I forgot the, the date, but Thursday night in January at midnight Swiss time. And uh, I'm very happy. We do the post. I go to bed. Then I wake up at six and I got tons of emails. Some emails from Asia where people were uh, basically uh, already awake and others from uh, West Coast, US, basically people not yet in bed. And both came back with it's incredible. We love it. I've got 20 on deposit already. I've got 25. I've got this. I was like, wow, what's happening? It never happened to me in my whole career. Such a big, uh, you know, uh, excitement like this around the launch. So then I thought, okay, this is, we, we, we put the finger on something quite special. It was a fr the Friday and then the weekend I went to ski like many Swiss people. And the whole weekend I had the same. Uh, the whole weekend I received messages from all over. So it was, I, then I realized we, we did something big. Hence the wait list that we're with today, but I'm sure, we get, I'm sure we're working through them. But it's, uh, we shouldn't, although the El Primero was, was one, of, one of the most important uh, developments in 
mechanical watchmaking possibly for the last Indeed. hundred years. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't also we shouldn't bypass the fact that the Defy that was launched earlier this year, the Skyline, also launched in '69 with a with a case in a case material True. and with an approach to how the wearer would wear a watch, mm -hmm. i.e., playing to a more contemporary, robust, go anywhere, do anything with it type watch. Um, which predates several of the what are now referred to as luxury sports watches in the marketplace by several years. So that was another moment in which Zenith seemed to be preordained in understanding where the watch uh, market might go best. So could you tell me a little bit about how the Skyline sits into the Defy, how the revival process, uh, sorry, how, the, how does the revival program within Defy work alongside the uh, extraordinary yeah. bandwidth that exists currently? Yeah, I mean, a revival, if you imagine, today we have four product line, uh, Defy, Chronomaster, uh, Pilot, and Elite. And uh, we created an horizontal product collection. We basically, revival goes through each of these four product line. Of course, your first one you've seen came from uh, Chronomaster with all the heritage with the A386, A384, etc. And you mentioned the Shadow or some of those watches. But... Uh, naturally then, uh, having a strong development in DeFi, we came with a few vintage DeFi in a way that we relaunched. Sometimes quite close to the authentic, not exactly the same because we always make differences, of course, to respect vintage watches. Uh, sometimes with um, the vintage shape, but with a new material like microblasted titanium. Shadow being one example. Uh, and of course, I mean, Pilot and Elite will come. But for me, Revival is how we give tribute to the past and we show where our actual contemporary watches are coming from, you know, mm -hmm. and they could be super modern, super contemporary, but you always see the roots and the link with, with the past. So uh, what we did with um, Device Skyline, to answer your question, it's clear. We, we looked at what are the most important um, and identifiable elements and, and the, the bezel came with this dodecagonal bezel that we had on the 3642, the vintage one. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also looked at the logo at that time, and in the 60s, late 60s, the logo was already a star, but a very stylish, different star. So we took it, we, we, uh, and we, we created this uh, pattern, this, this tapisserie that we have uh, on, the, on the dial. Uh, and, and, and we thought, okay, this is great, but it's a three hands. How do we make it even more on a, uh, a Zenit watch? And we believe that it would be very cool to develop another expression of the El Primero in three hands which actually was done once in the past. Mm. But it was done in a way that you had no idea that it was an El Primero. We wanted to have a little hint for people that know a bit about watchmaking. And that's why we created this small second at nine o'clock, turning at one-tenth of a second and basically showing the, the power and the speed of the El Primero movement. So you really have a watch that's, it's very zenith, it's very contemporary, but it's, you have all the elements from, from our brand. Mm. And that's how we came with this. So there is always a revival behind somewhere. And we shouldn't, of course, forget Elite because Elite yeah. was the, uh, the, I suppose, the partner movement in in terms of uh, high watchmaking expertise that Zenith was able to offer. So we had the automate, automatic integrated chronographer. We also had an ultra thin movement. Yeah. Um, I sense at the moment that Elite is serving a, a greater uh, purpose in really identifying Zenith as a brand that appeals to women and and. Uh, High complications, and particularly high, con high, high finishing, can be worn by women in the elite range in watches. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the moon phase and the reach your star concept, which you brought to market around at the same time. Sure. I mean, the brand itself has always been linked to the sky. Our founder, first, the brand was not called Zenith at the beginning. It was called Georges Favre Jaco, the name of the founder. 
but uh, a few years after it became Zenit because uh, he was passionate about uh, astronomy, about the sky, and it was not only from the scientific point of view, but also from uh, inspiration. Uh, apparently, I, I read and heard that he was looking at the sky to get new ideas, new ideas of watches, new ideas of mechanism and different things. So it's always been a big source of inspiration. And the name Zenit is the highest point in the sky. The logo is a star. I mean, it's clear. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, uh, we, we basically uh, worked uh, when I came on board on the marketing aspect, because if you want to reinforce the branding, you need to talk about what the brand is all about. And, and we developed what we call a brand platform, marketing brand platform, which started from the, um, the time to reach your star element, which is a philosophy, philosophy of how you reach your objective. Georges Favreco, the founder, 22 years old, had the vision to integrate all the different crafts under the same roof. He did it at 22 years old. Uh, Charles Vermeer's story, I don't need to come back. It's the mm -hmm. same. It's about having an objective and going for it. Uh, more recently, many people remember the story of uh, Felix Baumgartner jumping in the space with a zenith on his wrist. I mean, that was uh, quite an achievement. So we've always been um, surrounded by this, this, this philosophy of brand. And that's where we started everything, basically. We restarted everything, I should say. Saying time to reach your star is our philosophy. So obviously, a moon phase is, is also part of what's happening in the sky. Uh, the Midnight, the DeFi Midnight mm. uh, collection is also uh, representing a starry sky on the dial. So there is always a connection. I mean, the sky and the, and the moon and all these elements are never very far uh, from, uh, from what we do. And, and, and Elite obviously, is the classic expression of our brand, elegant, thin. Uh, it's not the most, I would say, um, uh, the strongest uh, watch segment today in the industry. Mm -hmm. So we, we continue to do business in that. Maybe one day it will come back. Now the trend is more sporty steel watches. Um, but I think it's very important to, to have an offer on, on classic, elegant watch. And uh, we have plans probably for 2024, 2025 to come back with... Um, uh, a new evolution on the elite collection as well. Yeah, how exciting. You, Felix Baumgartner, who you, who you mentioned jumping from that extraordinary height, 24 miles to the, to, the, to the Earth's surface. I remember watching that. It was live streamed, well, yep. possibly. It was 20, yeah, 10 years ago, so it's possibly one of the earliest live stream yep. events that the watch industry had ever staged, if not the first. And um, I relished the, the uh, enormity of the challenge and in purely marketing terms, the the ultimate risk associated with a challenge that is quite so dramatically dangerous. Mm -hmm. And it really played to a sense of, a sense of uh, competition almost in, in, uh, in the Zenith brand at the time. And with respect, it's something that you have brought back in, but your sense of competition is different. It's a, it's a competitive instinct that I think you have, and it's shared by many of your friends and ambassadors. And I think specifically we should talk about Extreme E, which introduces a sustainable concept to what is in effect a competition. So that's sort of almost rolling two uh, very interesting, uh, I don't want to use the word trends, but they're two interesting formula into one, which is how do you deal with sustainability, how do you approach sustainability, but also how do you make it fun, how do you make it exciting? So could you talk a little bit about how you were sure. introduced to that, Brad? Sure. You know, uh, I mentioned the word contemporary a few times. Innovation is part of our culture, at Zenith, of our uh, history. But you, you cannot be only innovative and contemporary by bringing a new spiral or a new type of screw or whatever in the mechanism. It's You have to be innovative and contemporary 360. And partnership between cars and uh, watches have existed for decades, if not longer. And I've always known so many. Um, but I thought, okay, 
If we do that, it has to go with our own values. In the meantime, we, without publicizing it, but we already started a program called Zenit Horizon. Zenit Horizon is like an initiative at the brand level that has three different uh, pillars. Uh, one of them is sustainability. Okay, so what do we do with sustainability? How do we concretely act at the manufacturer level? And we have now uh, around 10 or 12 different actions that we took. Um, gender equality, very important to us. Uh, inclusion, diversity, gender equality, women empowerment, all these elements. And of course, employee well-being. Here again, we took around 10 different uh, initiatives. Uh, the, the last one was to create a, uh, a garden where you can have uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, you know, with a gardener coming twice per week and employees can go and get, uh, help themselves to get uh, fruits and vegetables. So it's a nice way to show yeah, another, um, another example. But we worked a lot on these three pillars and Extreme E came to the point, came to the table when I was launching the DeFi Extreme, which was extreme in terms of dimension, hundred of a second, all that. And Extreme is about what? It's about racing very fast, uh, electric cars. So promoting electric cars, basically. We all know in a few years, we will all have to use probably electric car, maybe hydrogen or something, but no more uh, using gas. And, uh, and, uh, and it, it's coming. And on top of that, something I didn't know at first, but uh, it's also gender equality because the teams are made of one man, one woman. And here, uh, a message to everybody listening or uh, that I shared with my friends, if some men still believe that they drive better than women, believe me, they should come and attend this uh, race. It's incredible. It's a, it's a very, very good event. So for us, it was in line. The philosophy was very much in line. That's why we, t we, we went for that, yeah. So it's platforming your commitment to, to sustainability. And before we forget, the mechanical watch is an ob object level in sustainability. True. That's, That's exactly it. It's an extraordinary uh, perpetual motion, as near as humankind has ever found a way to build it. So we are already talking from a sustainable platform, but your, your interest in is taking that out into a broader marketplace. And also, I, as I say earlier, relishing the competition, relish, relishing what I sense is... is uh, is a desire to succeed, which is uh, judged against metrics that you want to challenge yourself and challenge those around you. But I was, I was thinking, is there anything we have, we haven't come on to pilot, we should talk about the pilot uh, collection, mm -hmm. which uh, I was <laughs> fascinated to discover. Um, again, the Sleeping Beauty, we shouldn't keep referring to yes. this, it's back in the past, but Zenith had the rights to the word pilot, so we were sort of uh, inundated with True. watches True. designed for aeronautical True. ambitions, and yet only one brand could actually place the word on their dial. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, Pilot is also a very important product line, and it's true that Sleeping Beauty was the nickname of Zenith when I came on board. Mm. Now I can tell you that the, the beauty is awake, fully awake, mm. uh, and uh, doesn't sleep much, actually, <laughs> like, like all of us at the moment, very busy. Yeah. But uh, no, Pilot is very important, and, and you know, logically, huh, I mentioned Elite for the next years. Um, when I came on board, it all started with DeFi, that helped me, again, rejuvenate the brand, then gave me time to launch back, uh, relaunch uh, Chronomaster Collection very successfully. Obviously, you can expect something next year on Pilot, and you are totally right. Pilot was very much turned to, I would say, a vintage approach. And sometimes the watches were also quite big and quite segmenting. Not everybody would like to wear such a big watch with mm. a very big crown. Mm. They're beautiful, they're fantastic, but very vintage. Now, Going with what we just discussed, uh, we had to find a new, uh, more contemporary approach of the pilot collection mm -hmm. without doing like 
other brands are doing in this segment, you know, being ourselves. So that's been, it took, took quite a lot of time to agree on, on which watch and how and which marketing concept we would use to support the comeback of the Pilot collection. And you are right, we are the only brand allowed to use the name Pilot to put it on the dial. We have the Blerio story uh, flying over the, the channel, uh, which legitimates also uh, our presence into the Pilot uh, collection. So yes, next year will be the big comeback of Pilot in a very, very cool way. And uh, I can't wait. Good, neither can I. <laughs> well, we were speaking shortly before we came on air about uh, our respective travels. Uh, you have lapped the globe three times more than I have in the last few months. Um, it's an extraordinary uh, opportunity, as you said earlier, to visit markets and to understand what local markets require. But also there are specific aims and intentions when you travel. So could you talk a little bit about your time in Singapore recently, where I understand you did a large event, which is something, again, which is very close to your heart, which is the Dream Hers program? Yeah. First of all, you know, I'm coming from markets. As I said before, I lived 12 years of my life being on the market. And I really believe that if you're running a company, any kind of company, you have to be close to the clients. You have to be on the field. This is in no way from your office at headquarters giving orders left and right that you will make the brand move the right way. So I, I, I try to be present as much as I can on the markets uh, because this is the best way to get information, live information, real information, and to feel the market, to anticipate what our clients uh, want for the future. So that's, that's super important for me. And yes, you're right. I was recently in Singapore where, again, I met every single retailer. We had a convention with them. We talked about the future of the brand and, and, and our successes. And we also had this Dream Hers event. And uh, we mentioned earlier, time to reach your start. Dream Hers is, is a platform, a platform of expression, very much linked to time to reach your start, but dedicated to women. Women that have been achieving incredible things in their respective fields. Sometimes fields in which we have to admit that it's been slightly easier for men than women. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great way, you know, to also live in today's world and to express and to try if we can contribute a, a bit to help uh, move on, uh, on gender equality. And, uh, and, 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 and it's a, the one in Singapore was very nice because we had, um, we had uh, eight or seven women sharing about their experiences, again, from very different fields. I mean, artists, sports people. Uh, one of them is actually British, uh, Katie Munnings, who is a rally driver and, and drives at the Extreme. Um, and they all expressed not only the glamorous side of their brand, of their life and the fact that they are famous and all that, but also the, the downs, you know, the moments that are very difficult, that they suffered, that they had to fight even harder. And that's a, that's, that's a great thing. And the, the event has a great success, really, really big success. Mm. So beside the example of, of Cathy Munnings, uh, rally driver, which is not an easy field also for women sometimes, uh, we... I had last year a lady in Switzerland who had been Miss Switzerland in 2015 with all the stereotypes that sometimes are around the, this Miss competition. Um, she became the youngest surgeon, clinical surgeon in Switzerland. And she was telling me how many times she gets into the surgery room and the patient looks at her and says, oh, you must be the nurse. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to open your belly in five <laughs> minutes. And, and, you know, it shows that we still have so much to do uh, and, and, and to, to help. And I think this platform is a great way because it should not only be one way. It should not only be talking about their experiences. But next year, we are putting together a mentoring program in which our dreamers will help other women that have projects, that have 
stars that they want to reach on how they can do it and, and, and telling about their ups and downs and, and how they should basically uh, maneuver in order to, to realize their dreams. So I think it's a great program that will, uh, will get bigger and bigger. Which again talks to the history of watchmaking, the concept of transmission, skills being handed down, handed on. True. Inevitably, probably in earlier years between family members, but now, thanks to the popularity of watchmaking, they can be operated globally. I wonder, Julian, in terms of your own um, uh, career, have there been important mentors in your life? Have there been people who've shown you, not necessarily even within the industry, but people who's whose approach to life and approach to work has affected the way you operate? Yes, of course. I mean, there have been, uh, been a few. And I think uh, um, the first one's probably my father because he's always been, in a way, advising me, coaching me, giving me advices all over my career since my um, very young age. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, uh, yeah, these advice stay with you all, all your life. So I think he played an important role. Um, I also remember my very first boss, probably the first month I started my career, who told me, you know what, you're joining a company in the luxury industry. You're going to meet people super wealthy. You're going to do things with incredible with them. Uh, you're going to see great places, etc. Never forget who you are and stay grounded. Keep your feet on the ground. And I think it's a great advice. I actually gave it to young people joining luxury industry because you can lose and you know the industry as well as I do. Sometimes egos uh, are going through the roof. Sometimes people forget who they are and, and they, they lose simplicity. They lose uh, the way to talk to people. And I think it's, a, it's something we need to be, attention, uh, to be attentive to in, in, in the luxury world uh, in a wide meaning. So that was always a very good advice. Um, and if I have to mention a third one, of course, I mean, Jean-Claude Biver is a legend and uh, uh, I always followed what he did. And when he hired me, I was also uh, very much inspired by, by what he has done. And I did not want to do the same because uh, the brands he put back on track were different. But I was uh, inspired maybe by the, the, the mindset. Mm. And the fact that even if you have issues, I mean, you can work on them and fix them. And, and, and a brand that doesn't do well today can do very well tomorrow. And I always believe that. Mm. So that's, uh, that's something I, I kept uh, uh, inspiration from. Yeah. And how do you keep your feet on the ground when you have a chance to have your feet on the ground? Because as we say, Rich, you are traveling a great deal. Um, what, what, what takes you away from the, the here and now and gives you some time to think and to... Um to probably deliberate on new ideas as well. I don't, I don't have to do something special. To be honest, I think I'm lucky to have been raised with the, the values my parents gave me, and I've always been the same. But you should ask my colleagues uh, around. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm the same, and I'm, I like, you know, I, I talk the same way to a uh, top leader of the industry as I will do to uh, the lady coming to clean the office at the end of the day. You know, that's my way of doing, and uh, I've always been like that. And I don't force myself. I don't, it's really the, the person I am. Mm. Um, so I think it's more about the values that you got. And, uh, and then of course, you have to make sure that uh, uh, remember who you are, remember you are, remember who you come from. And uh, it's not because you have a title. It's not because you are, you know, we all are, we have one life only. So let's try to make it a good life. Mm. And uh, your, your, uh, your business card, your credit card, one day they will be expired. And uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a time like that. So you have to always stay who you are. That's, that's something I tell everyone I know. Yeah. It's very gratifying to hear, Julian, I have to say. 
I was going to ask We've known each other for really, quite a few yeah. years, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you a question. I, I, I don't think I know the answer. I don't know the answer. I, I hope this might be part of it. Um, your proudest moment. I was, as a long, as a long time lover of, of Zenith watches, and we've discussed the, the evolution of the brand in more recent years and what's happened in the last five years, which has been dramatic by any standard. But what happened at the Only Watch auction last yeah. year, the biennial charity auction by which brands are able to offer one exclusive piece that is then auctioned off for a charity, um, it's fair to say that the Zenith result was fantastic. It was yeah. 480,000 Swiss yeah. francs for a Defy Double Tourbillon Philippe Pantone watch. And if I can say this, uh, Within the group that you, uh, you you work, yours was the most valuable watch at the auction, and I, I for me that felt like a real moment, a real sense of achievement, but also a, 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 a with respect a deserved price that was paid. How did you feel when the hammer fell on four hundred eighty thousand Swiss francs for a Zenith watch? I felt uh, proud. Uh, you used the word, so I will use it as well. Still with um, humility around that because. Um, the cause was also a very important cause to us and uh, Only Watch is a great, great uh, uh, initiative from Luc Petavino that I've always respected a lot and I was with him still a few days ago. So I was super happy to, of course, for the brand to beat that record because we had been up and up and up on the auction business, even with regular pieces, the brand equity is really going up. So that's a very good sign, obviously, for the brand. But then knowing that 100% of the proceeds were going to this a particular cause uh, made me super happy. Super happy, uh, I can admit, I will tell you, uh, I was a bit emotional on the spot because I thought it's a hell of a lot of money and that goes the right way and we contributed to that. We, us, all of us, watchmakers, everybody, product developers. So it's, it's a big sense of pride, uh, probably sometimes stronger than you know, reaching a certain level of a turnover or uh, uh, having another kind of success. It, it's something special because you know you give back, in a way. You, you, you give back some, something, and I think it was very important for the whole, uh, for the whole company. Uh, I went back to the manufacturer, and we had a, quite a nice and big celebration altogether because that was something I wanted to celebrate with the employees. Yeah, and we shouldn't forget, of course, that on the anniversary in 2019, you had yep. exceptional auction results on, on vintage pieces. True. In the in the uh, in the El Primero collection, but I should say more recently, and something that talks very very truthfully to the real heart of the business is the success of the uh, recent sale of the Caravaggio watch, which celebrates Zenith's chronometry and um, bringing back really to the forefront what Zenith always was. I mentioned earlier that it was the it is the most decorated watch manufacturer by dint of its extraordinary run of chronometry prizes. And this is a piece that you too have brought back to the fore. And could you talk a little bit about the discovery and the development of those movements? For sure, and thank you for asking this because it's it's also it's been one of my favorite projects uh, of the last five years because the El Primero was already there, as I said before, um, and we're proud of it. But people often believe that it was the El Primero, and that's it. And, and, and digging up a bit more in the past, we found out about this 135 caliber, and even more, even rare, uh, more rare, the 1350 caliber, which means observatory. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a crazy story. I mean, we wanted to do something special. We had a very good collaboration with Philips, and uh, we found out that we still had these incredible calibers, they are a little bit more than 20, uh, still in their uh, wooden box, we call them calottes in French, which is only kind of a protection, because those 20-something movements were never supposed to be put in a watch, to be encased in a watch. They were only there to race for 
uh, observatory precision competitions, mostly in Besançon in France or in Neuchâtel. What sort of data are we talking about? For 1949, 1950s, yeah. around that. Um, because there had been a commercial edition of the 135. These were commercialized between 1949 and 1962. And there had been these 20-ish something uh, movements, 1350 for observatory, that were only for precision, like horse racing, you know, that you mm. only keep those you never got. So it was a great, uh, great thing. And when I look at the movement, of course, they were rough. You know, they were, they were not decorated. They were not good looking, to be honest. Um, but they had all the diplomas of every competition, every win they did in the back, I mean, 70 years ago, you know, very magical. So I said, okay, if we touch this, if we sacrifice, in a way, some of our heritage, it has to be done at perfection. And to do it at perfection, I had two names in mind. I will only share one, the one who uh, was my first choice. And, and thanks to Kari Voutilain and accepted when I called him, not immediately, but he then, when he looked at the movement, he realized the, 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 the level of the yeah, sacrifice again or the, 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 the prestige of this project. He said, okay, you know what? My watches are pre-sold until 2020, whatever. Um, I will help you. We will do it together. And he helped us to decorate the movement, of course, and to do the, uh, the dial, the guilloche on the dial. So it was a fantastic project to have someone like Carrie Again, very humble, you know him, mm. uh, very lucky, even though he's probably one of the most, if not the most talented at the moment, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, he did the work with us and it was a, a, a fantastic collaboration. And again, it speaks to the openness, what you refer to as the honesty of the brand as well, that you, you, you are participating and partnering mm. with uh, watchmakers from outside of the uh, company at this moment, which is a wonderful thing to see. Yes, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we really wanted to make it very special. So Carrie was the right person, yeah. Mm. And we should talk about it. If, if, if unfortunately you're unable to um, pick up one of Carrie's uh, pieces, there is the boutique, Zenith Boutique, opening at Watch of Switzerland on Regent Street. True. This yeah. very moment, for which you have kindly produced a boutique edition. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We worked on our uh, Chronomaster original with a very special dial, signature dial, I should say, um, linked to Watches of Switzerland. Very happy, our first boutique on Regent Street, you know. And uh, the UK is a very important market to us. There is a strong watch culture here. Mm. So we are happy to, uh, to develop this collaboration. We have experienced a fantastic development of our common business over the last couple of years. And I think it's, it's only the beginning. So yes, we are here today in London uh, for the celebration tonight. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to share this evening with many of our uh, aficionados. Well, Julian, it's very nice to see you in London. We've had the chance to catch up at various places around the world over the last few yes. years. Um, but it's very, very nice to have you here in London. Hopefully you'll be back here very soon. Thank you. I return the compliment, Bill, because, you know, I meet a lot of people, but with you, it's always a nice moment. So thank you very much. You're very kind. Thank you for joining the Calibre podcast. Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.